Mindfulness Mode 436. You know, it's like the four questions I use every day are, what is this? What do I do with it? Can I change it? And if so, how do I change it? Just a heads up, there's some inappropriate language and inappropriate content if you have children listening today, so you might want to shut the episode off if that's the case. Hey, welcome back to the Mindfulness Mode podcast. I'm Bruce Langford, your host and mindfulness life coach. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I have been putting together a membership group and I mentioned it last episode and I'll mention it again today. It's a virtual retreat. And I put out a questionnaire and found out that so many people are really longing for community, for a place to touch base with each other, get to know people with like-minded interests. And in your case, mindfulness, the interest of mindfulness. This is a virtual retreat where you can join me and spend time and we can build on the level of mindfulness that we have going in our lives. and. Uh, Well, you can get an early bird price and be one of the founding members if you join up before June 26th. So jump in. We will have a two-hour live call every month and there will be all kinds of perks. I'll be recording guided meditations and uh, being part of the Mindful Tribe Retreat will connect you with so many interesting people and it will be a vibrant mindfulness community. So sign up. You can go to mindfulnessmode.com com forward slash mtr standing for the mindful tribe retreat and for the first 20 people who sign up like i said you will be in on the ground floor as a founding member and i'll send out t-shirts to all of you founding members so i am excited and on another note Today's episode, well, I'm talking with the founder of Access Consciousness today. This is exciting, but I want to put this right out there right now. There is some swearing in this episode. Shut it off if you have children with you. The guest drops the F-bomb and uh, just be aware of this language warning. So if you're concerned about language, shut off the episode right now. But otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy my very interesting interview with Gary M. Douglas. Hey, Gary, are you in mindfulness mode today? No, I'm never in mindfulness mode. Aren't you? I'm always in consciousness mode. You're in consciousness mode. Well, that's yes. interesting. We can talk about that. Gary Douglas is the founder of Access Consciousness, an organization that's transforming lives, now get this, in 173 countries. Actually, it's 176 now. Oh, is it? I was wondering if my number was up to date. He's authored and co-authored a number of books, quite a number of books, actually. About 25. About 25? One of them is called The Place. You might have heard of it. Uh, One of them is called Money Isn't the Problem, You Are. I love that title. And uh, one of them is called Living Beyond Distraction. That's, uh, I think, one of the more recent ones. Gary co-hosts a weekly radio show on Voice America, and he's been featured on TV shows, print media, and online publications. He's well known for his unique insights on, well, so many things like relationships, money, business, leadership, emotional freedom, 
Well, we're here today to talk about mindfulness and mindfulness, of course, has a connection with all of those things. What does mindfulness mean to you? What's your definition, Gary? Most people function from the idea of mindfulness as being more present in life. Mm -hmm. I tend to go to a little different point of view. My point of view is you should be totally conscious because mindful is about being present and being aware of what's around you. Consciousness is that place where you can have total awareness without any attention on it. Most people have to use their attention to create mindfulness. They have to go, I'm going to be mindful. And then they, you know, stress and put effort on it. Consciousness is something that surrounds us at every moment. Every molecule in the universe has consciousness in it. So we are connected to all the molecules of the universe when we are choosing consciousness. So I'm trying to get people to choose consciousness rather than just mindfulness, because they use mindfulness sometimes as a justification for when they are checked out. I see. So mindfulness could mean that we're trying too hard to achieve yeah, something. Exactly. And consciousness is more like letting go. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It's like letting go and receiving everything. See, if you were willing to receive everything in the universe and had no point of view about it, would you have more available to you or less? Well, I'd have more. Yeah. And the thing is, what I see people doing is they use mindfulness as a way to try to not make mistakes. And so I'm always looking for the consciousness rather than the mindfulness, because the mindfulness is where a lot of people do judgment from. The difficulty is you can do mindfulness as true presence, or you can do it as a judgment of how you're better or how you're worse. And the judgment doesn't get us anywhere. Judgment is the only thing that's not included in consciousness. Well, I think judgment does get us somewhere. And I think it's into a very negative, okay, so dark you, place. Yeah, but even what you call positive judgments still don't get you to anything other than a dark place. Hmm. I had a friend who got engaged and he told me, oh, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. She's great. She's wonderful. She's amazing. And I went, oh, shit. Because I knew the moment he went into the judgment that she was great and wonderful and phenomenal that he was not seeing the other things she was. You have to be willing to see what everybody is always, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If we are willing to see the good and the bad and ugly of any and every person, then we are never surprised by the things they do or choose. But Gary, don't you think the natural part of being in love is that we can only see that amazing goodness about the person? No. Because I think if you're willing to see the ugly as well, then you can love them even more. Because if you're willing to see all the parts and pieces of them, you don't have the expectation that the good is what's going to show up. Well, I think it's so fascinating you're saying this because I fell into that exact trap. When I met my wife, I, I saw that she was so incredible that I saw just what you're describing. Oh my yeah. gosh, I did not see the flaws. I I still really find it hard to see very many flaws, but I, I just saw her as this perfect person. And a couple of times I would say, oh my gosh, like you're just so perfect. And it really upset her. Yeah. And at first well, I wasn't sure why, her. and then I understood why. And so now I totally understand what you mean. I, I completely yeah. understand it, but I didn't understand it then. Yeah. But the thing is, understanding is something that grows when you're conscious and it's like, and when you're present with what is. So the great thing about mindfulness is it does demand of people to be more present. The only 
limitation in mindfulness from my point of view is people use it as a judgment and in a weapon against others you're just not being mindful you know it's like that's not nice do you think mindfulness can take us to consciousness yes it's part of consciousness it's like when you're totally you know aware then you don't try to shut off what you cannot quote unquote see right if you're not shutting off what you quote unquote cannot see then you get to see everything, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, and it's important for us to see everything. But seeing everything for me is going to look very different from seeing everything for someone else, for you, for my wife, whoever it is. But that yes, doesn't matter, wow. does it? No, it doesn't matter because it's like the thing is, when you can see that somebody can't receive what you're talking about, you stop talking. Right. And it doesn't create any conflict. Conflicts cease when consciousness increase. So you got to have that place. When you see that the person can't receive what you're trying to tell them, just stop talking. And most people don't. They keep trying to fill in the blank, thinking eventually the person's going to see their point of view. That's another thing I used to do. I used to talk more. And yeah. then I came to this point where I realized that some things just don't need to be said. Some things, some thoughts that I have or whatever, just really don't need to be said. And that's okay. Well, it's not that they don't need to be said. They can't be received, but they can't be received. You can't actually say them. Not really. And that's the difficulty is people have this place where they're trying to say what they think the person needs to hear rather than being willing to ask, what can this person hear? I always ask, what can this person hear? What's really going to work? And so I don't say what people can't hear because they can't hear. Right. There's no point. There's no point in talking what people can't hear. Right. It's you know, and if you say things in the, in a way that's not received, then you get all kinds of other things occurring. You know, it's like if I say you're a jerk, what are you going to have to do? Defend that you're not, prove that you are. Or punch me out. You know, you kind of get three choices there. Right. Like that's really the way most things are confronted. You know, it's like if they say to the president, you're not telling the truth, he then has to defend that he is telling the truth, even if it's not. Right. Just is. And it's like, and everybody wonders why reaction is the format for the majority of the world. Because you put people in a place where they have to choose something that they're not willing to choose. Pushing you know? people and into a corner is not a good thing. No. And it's like my basic point of view is you need to be, you need to lie to everybody else, which means you tell them only what they can hear. And you need to be bluntly truthful with yourself. Bluntly truthful with yourself. Yeah. And that's where we trick ourselves a lot of times. We're not truthful to ourselves, right? No, we try to prove that we're good people or we try to prove that we're doing something right. Because we want to feel good about ourselves. Is that why? You know, I'm willing to say, okay, that was, that was a jerk thing to do. I was a jerk there. Then I can ask for forgiveness, you know? But if I go, I'm right and you're wrong, then we have to fight forever. What if no one was ever right and no one was ever wrong? All we'd ever have is people who are strong. And we need that. We need, we need people that are strong. Yes, indeed. Yeah, especially now, because it's like with the things that are going on around the earth, it's like we're going to have to come to a point where we are stewards of the earth and we help heal it, not we 
fix it or we save it. You know, the idea that we're going to save the planet with uh, recycling. That's not going to save it. That's just going to stop the destruction we've already got in place. Right. right. How can we change this? What if we became strong enough to disconnect the molecular structures we've created so that things can disintegrate? We don't do that. We put it in a landfill and wait for nature to do it. And nature's going to take a very, very, very long time, if ever. Nature's not trying to disintegrate. You know, we put it together and it goes, oh, this is what you want. Okay, fine. You want 8 million plastic bottles on the planet a day? Okay, we'll have 8 million plastic bottles on the planet a day. It'll be fine. You know, nature will not die. It will change, you know, and we may get to the point where the only thing that's left here is cockroaches and other critters that eat everything that we created. You know, it's wonderful to see those movies where they fast forward into what will happen on the earth if mankind disappears. Right. Nobody thinks mankind can disappear, but we're doing things to ourselves right now that could disappear us in a heartbeat. You know, if we were one of the million, you know, extinct species on the planet, would the planet be better off? Maybe. It it would seem that it might be better off. It seems like we're yes, just exactly. causing so much destruction every single day. Yeah. You know, and we don't look to see how we can be stewards of the earth. And, you know, my basic point of view is you really want to heal the earth. Laugh. Laughter is the most healing energy there is. So be joyful, be happy and laugh and everything gets better. Well, I agree. We certainly don't laugh enough. No, we need to laugh more, you know, but if you finally realize you're a joke, you can laugh. Right. We take ourselves too seriously. Oh, yes. That's I'm a very sure. serious person. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, right. What if you're doing the wrong thing? You know, it's like I drive an SUV. Uh-huh. Why? Because it's what I need, not because it's, you know, I'm not trying to save money. But I think it's interesting because I had all these people who were talking about, you know, getting electronic cars and stuff. Yeah. And then I talked to this guy who was in a college. He says, that's insane. The toxic waste from a battery is worse than the toxic waste that you spill from the back of your car when you have gasoline engines. Different, but just as bad. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I never thought of that. You know, but we don't look at cumulative effects. And I love the fact that they're advertising that we need to get rid of cow farts. Right. They they are. Yeah, they're talking about that. Methane gas comes from farts of cows. Yes. Well, cows actually don't fart as much as they burp. Uh huh. And methane gas comes out of your burping as well. Right. The reality is you get methane gas from chickens and from goats and from sheep and from everything. Everything produces methane gas. So to try and blame it on the poor cows, you know, it's like, and somebody said, that's just because they want to take away all of our hamburgers. And it's like, eh, I think it's just because they're stupid. <laughs> Well, I'm laughing. (laughs) I think that's a funny comment and I think that's interesting. Yeah. So for me, it's always about, okay, so let's look at what's true and real here. You know, it's like the four questions I use every day are what is this? What do I do with it? Can I change it? And if so, how do I change it? Those four questions will serve you dynamically anytime, anywhere. What is this? What is this? What do I do with it? Can I change it? And if so, how do I change it? What do I do with it? Can I change it? Hmm. Well, and if so, how do I change it? There are a lot of things we can't change and we stew over them. We sweat over them. We create stories about them. That that does nothing to change them, you know, but if you realize, okay, I can't change this, then you stop fighting to change something you can't change. 
Yeah, can you change the political system? Not really. You can kind of vote for something against the political system that's currently in, but that's really about all you can do is vote against. Right. And it's like, it's a very sad commentary that we've gotten to the point where everything is a vote against rather than a vote for. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. Gary, I want to talk with you about access consciousness. And, and I know it's so well known for bars. Bars. Yes. Is that one of the original tools that yep, that's is one it? of the original tools? And did you and create that? One of the greatest tools there is. Did you create bars? When I have a cranky day, I get my bars run. Oh, you know, it's like I discovered the value of the bars when I had teenagers. Okay. I would do classes and make them be the guinea pigs for my participants. Because if I had their bars run, I'd get three and a half weeks of peace from the little shits. Teenage children are not fun. I think they should all be put in cages. Well, my, I have a teenager and he is fun. And I don't think he should be put in a cage. I think he's awesome. Is he the only one? He is. We just have one. That's why. Is it? Yeah. When you have more than one, they gang up against you. Well, maybe they do sometimes. I'm not sure if I would, I'm not sure if I believe that as a blanket statement. Okay. Don't believe it as a blanket statement. I don't want you to believe anything I say. I want you to question everything I say. Oh, good. Then I'm on the right track. Yes. As long as you're questioning it, then you'll look around. But you'll see parents that have multiple teenagers and the kids start fighting the parents yeah, all the time. Right. That's just the way it is. It's the nature of the beast called mankind. Well, I know that happens and I'm one of five boys in my family and we certainly, we certainly did. We certainly fought, you know, fought with each other, fought, you know, didn't think my parents were making good choices. You know, there were certainly a lot of ideas. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Definitely that. Yes. You know, I think they're stupid if you don't realize where babies come from. If you stick it in, you got a chance of getting the baby. Uh Uh-huh. Pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a fairly good chance. A lot of the time. Yeah. I always say children are the ones sexually diseased you can't ever get rid of. And when they are diseased, you suffer because you're always trying desperately to get them to the point where they're not creating that effect. You know, the problem is, as parents, we're always trying to keep our kids from making the mistakes we made. And how many kids did you have? You got to encourage them to make mistakes. Yeah. They're going to have to make mistakes. And that's, you know, that's the way they think they have to learn. That's the way we thought we had to learn, you know, and it's like, if you become more mindful and more conscious, then you don't have to learn that way. How many children do you have, Gary? I have four. Oh, you have four. Are they all boys? Two boys, two girls. Girls are easier than boys. So do you have a good relationship with your children at this point in time? Well, they think so. But you don't? I don't have a judgment about it. Oh, well, that's good. Their idea of a good relationship is I give them the money they want when they want it. So I do. They have the point of view that my job is to give them money. My youngest granddaughter is now my oldest granddaughter. My oldest granddaughter, when she was young, she decided she hated me. So she wouldn't talk to me for years. When she turned 13, I gave her $300 and told her not to tell her parents because they'd take it from her. She did. Now she loves me. I just have to give her $300 every time I see her. And does that relationship feel good? She likes me now. And how do you feel about it? I'm fine. So it works for both of you. I don't have a point of view about it. You know, works for me. You know, it's like, I don't expect her to think I'm great. I don't expect her to want to learn anything from me. I don't expect anything of her. See, if you do no projections or expectations of anybody, 
And you can't have the trauma, drama, the upset, the intrigue, the turmoil that, that comes as a result of the projections and expectations. So that's how you eliminate drama from your life. Yeah. No projections, no expectations. If I have none of those, then I will have no, you know, no separations, judgments, or rejections from myself, of myself, or of them, or from them. So you have your bars done once a month, something like that, approximately? Once a week, once a if week. I can. A little more often if I'm cranky. But why would you be cranky if you're able to let go of drama and, and this kind of thing? Why would you be cranky? Because stupid people are fucking irritating. <laughs> are they? Okay. Stupid people are irritating. And uh, are there a lot of, do you surround yourself with a lot of stupid people or there just are I don't a lot surround of myself with stupid people, but there are a lot of them in the world. Uh-huh. And that's what causes most of the stress that you have? Well, it's not the stress I have. I experience what they're stressing about. And I don't, you know, it's like, and I can't deal. What can I, you know, what is this? It's their stupidity. What do I do with it? I have to allow it. And can I change it? No, if I can't change it. Then that's kind of irritating. I like to change things. Mm. You're a change agent. I'm a change agent. Yeah. Right. So for those listeners who have no idea what bars are, can you describe this process, what it's like? There's 32 different points on the head that you touch lightly and just allow the energy to flow. And it's sort of like hitting delete file on your computer banks. And, you know, it's like you defrag your computer called your head. And the end result is you have a sense of peace, more space, and then you have more room for input instead of just Alpha. And do you have to have someone else do it to you or can you do it yes. to yourself? Yes. You have to have somebody else do it for you. You plus you equals two. You, you plus another equals a hundred. Get a hundred times the result. So who does it for you? I have Dane, Brendan and Simone who run my bars. And I have some other people that I have run my bars, but I always pay them to run my bars. So I don't have to do an exchange with them. Okay. I see. So that works for you. Yeah. And then you feel completely at peace and relaxed after you have this done? Is Not that completely, right? but I feel at peace and relaxed and I'm more willing to see different possibilities. See, if we spend our lives looking for the possibilities of what we could do or be, instead of what we think we have to get done, would we create a different world? Yeah, a better world. Because it's not what you have to do or be, it's what you choose to do or be that changes the world. Every choice you make creates something. We don't know what the choice is going to create until after we made it. You know, it's like when I was a kid, they used to say, you have to be aware of the consequences of your actions. And I would go, what the hell does that mean? And I finally realized that when you choose something, it actually creates a whole different world. You know, I chose to get married to somebody. That took up about five years of my life with trauma, drama, upset, intrigue, and constant states and needs of trauma and drama, because that's what that woman needed from me. And today, she's in her mid-60s, and she's still doing trauma and drama. So you don't have a, a wife in your life right now? Like, you don't have a partner no, with you? No, thank you. Right. No, I, you know, it's like I'm too selfish. Do you see yourself then as being a very selfish person? Yeah, I like what I like when I like it. And I don't want to have to do it for somebody else. When I got my last divorce, some woman called me and says, well, I'm ready to do a relationship with you now. And I said, you do know I never put the toilet seat down. 
She said, I'll teach you. I'll train you. I said, I am not a dog and I will not be trained. Don't try. You know, it's like, you know, what I, I, you know, when I taught my second wife, I said, you know, it's like she would come in. I had a bathroom off of my office and she would come in and go to the bathroom there. I said, if you come in here and do the bath, go to the bathroom, you have to put the toilet seat up after you finish. Cause I don't put the toilet seat down when I go to, when I pee, you need to put the toilet seat up. What kind of attitude is that? Mine. That's interesting. It seems like toilet seats are a big issue in a lot of people's lives. Yes, it's a big issue. It's like crazy. Toilet seat is the issue. You know, and they, they would always say to me, the women would always say to me, you don't know what it's like to, you know, sit down on a cold toilet seat, and, you know, have your butt touch that porcelain. I said, yes, I do. I did it once, which is why I never did it again. <laughs> I never could understand why a toilet seat was such a big issue. I still have have trouble understanding it. I uh, I have my office here and I rent out another office to another person. And after quite a long time, we share a bathroom, right? And after a long time, he said to me, oh, I always thought you were angry with me. And I said, why? And he says, because you always put the the toilet seat and the lid down and I never do. And so I thought you were angry with me because I don't do it. And I said... I have no idea why you went there and I really don't care. None of it bothers me at all. I have not, no feelings about it. Yeah. Besides that, you've been well-trained by your wife to always put the toilet seat down. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. I once read that, that before you flush, it's better to put the toilet seat and the lid down because otherwise there's a fine spray that can go into the and room. The and I, so I just, I just automatically put it down every time. That's my choice. I really don't care what somebody else does. Okay. So my basic point of view is, you know, it's like you have to wash your hands after you touch your penis. Yes. But you'll have somebody suck you off without having washed, without washing your penis. What's the difference? <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of thoughts about, you know, you must wash your hands if you're a guy after you, yeah. well, I think women wash their hands too, maybe, but they, they, I think it's particularly gross if a guy does not wash his hands after urinating. Yeah. Well, I said to this woman, I said, so I have to wash my hands, but you'll suck my penis without me washing that. What the fuck does it matter? And what did she say? She went, oh, good point. I don't know. So she got it. Yeah. Hmm. Let's talk about like, the book that you wrote. Uh, Money isn't the problem. You are. Yeah. So how is that true? Why am I the problem if I think money is the problem? Well, if you think money is the problem, you're trying to blame it for what, why you don't have it. You know, what would I have to be or do different to have all the money I need or want? And that's the question. And you want to function from the question of what would it take to make more money? What would it take to get more money? I mean, I always find it interesting that people do this thing. You know, I have no money. I have no clients. What question is, I have no money and I have no clients. What? Well, I don't. I said, so then you have solidified into existence in your world that you have no money and you have no clients. Is that going to invite clients or money into your life? And that's no. No. No, it's not. But they all always go, what do you mean? I said, you're telling the universe you don't want clients and you don't want money. Right. The universe gives you what you ask for. So do you believe in the law of attraction? No. So when you say the, the universe gives you what you ask, ask for, isn't the law of attraction partly asking for it? 
and believing you will receive it? Yes, but they always look for the positive that you ask for rather than realizing what you've already achieved by what you've asked for. See, if they would actually acknowledge the fact that they have attracted exactly what they were saying. And if you listen closely to people's conversations, you'll hear it come out of their mouth exactly what's showing up in their life. Right. At one point in my life, I was, ha- I was sick and I was tired all the time. Oh. And I had an argument with my wife. And as she left the, the room, I went, God, I'm sick and tired. of." And I went, what? And I realized that I had been saying for six months, I'm, for six months, I am I'm sick and tired of this. So I was making my body tired and making myself sick to match my point of view. We don't get our point of view creates our reality, not reality creates our point of view. But isn't that what the law of attraction is? It's supposed to be, but they always say to attract what you want, you do the positive. You got to see it's like it's not about the law of attraction. The reality is you attract exactly what you say and think. That's what I think. And that's what I think the law of attraction is, is just the fact that we are attracting into our lives what we think. And we all operate by the law of attraction, whether we believe in it or not, don't we? That's not how most people get it. I see. Yeah, I see what you mean, that most people think it's this feel good thing where you got to think positively and all that. But I don't see it that way. I think it's it's like just telling you that if you think something, you're going to think something into existence. And we all do because we all have around us and in our lives what we have created. Isn't that true? Yes. But that's, you know, you have attracted exactly what you've thought or said. Right. And it's like, and that's not the way the law of attraction is seen. I see what you mean. It is what works. It is the way it is. But I thought you were talking about that thing of you have to think positive thoughts to get positive results. Right. No, you don't have to think positive results to get positive, you know, positive thoughts to get positive results. You got to see that you're so friggin' powerful that your thoughts themselves create what's happening in your life. You know, and one of the things I try to teach people is not what's wrong with this or what's wrong with me, but what's right about this, I'm not getting. What's right about me, I'm not getting. Because everything we do, we create ourselves. Kind of powerful. Incredibly powerful. We're pathetic. So was there ever a time in your life, I know you already talked about there was a time when you you felt frustrated and so on, but was there a time in your life when you did not know how to generate income, when you were frustrated because you didn't have the money you wanted in your life? Yes, absolutely. What did you do about it? When was that anyway? I went out, it's like that was about, it's probably about 35 years ago now. Uh God, I'm old. Uh (laughs) And I went out and I bought every book I could on money. I went to seminars and stuff. And I went to a seminar on the top of a mountain in Colorado where we slept in soggy tents and it was just hideous. But you remember it. Oh, yeah. I remember it really well because I went to a channeling and the, you know, the person that was channeling said, you know, they said, if you if you weave on the loom of Maya and the seventh sun of the house of the seventh ray of the blah, blah, blah. You will have all the money you need. And I said, what the fuck does that mean? And how do I apply that to my life? They could not tell me. And that's the reason I went, you know what? Whatever you get, you have to have a pragmatic point of view about it. It has to be applicable. If you can't apply it, why have it? So everything in Access I've done has been about making it applicable. I have the first book I ever wrote was How to Be, you know, uh, How to it, Become what Money. It, what was it called again? How to Become Money. Oh, 
That was your first book. Yeah. And it's like, and it still applies today. Works beautifully. And it's like I told people, if you do this, and it's a workbook, so it's like write your answers on a separate piece of paper and then do it again two weeks later, and you'll see your your whole financial universe change. And within six months, you'll have a whole different financial universe. You know, and I applied some principles like, number one, put 10% of all the money that comes in as a tithing to the church of you. Mm -hmm. You're showing the universe that you want money first. Right. You know, and it's don't give to those who have less than you. Give to people that have more than you. Then they will judge that you have more money than you do and you will get more money. The church of you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you start looking from that point of view and you start creating a whole different universe. And it works. It's all pragmatic tools. Interesting. And so does it work if you decide to start carrying around a lot of cash because you start feeling more I always carry lots of cash with me. I do too. You know, I do too. Bob Proctor taught me that. Yeah, good. You know, because it's like the thing is that if you have money in your pocket and you don't spend it, then the universe knows you want to have money, not spend money. Most people just want to spend money. They don't want to have money. Hmm. So at the end of the month, they're out of money. It's interesting because when you put this 10% away, almost everybody who's done it, when they get up to about having $50,000 in their savings, they never think about money again and money just keeps coming. Everybody has an amount. And once they get that, then they never think about money again and money keeps coming. Gary, I always ask a question about bullying. Were you ever bullied or are you a bully? Were you a bully? What are your thoughts? Do you have a story was, about this? I was never a bully. I always felt sorry for the people who were the underdogs, the people who got bullied. Yeah. So I always became their friend. Do you have a story you yeah. can share with us? Well, it's like, you know, it's like I had a, I had a friend, his name was Gary, which I thought was very funny. And he was a not very good looking guy, but he was really a kind, nice guy. Everybody, you know, and he had pimples on his face because he was a teenager. So that did not improve his looks dynamically. And so he got given shit all the time for being ugly and stuff. I, on the other hand, was a handsome dude. And so I became his friend and then everybody liked him better because a handsome guy would hang out with him. And I used my assets to create better results for everybody I came in contact with. I would listen to those who seemed to be insane. Why? Because the people who are insane are the people who don't fit in this reality and they have miraculous things to say and share. They have wisdom. I don't know that they always have wisdom, but they have insight. Uh And I'll have insight to different things than I have. So I was looking for more insight, more awareness, more possibilities. And I always looked to that. So I would hang out with the people that were considered not the great people. I would do all the things that, you know, the ordinary people that, you know, the standard people, I would hang out with them, but I would not hang out with the cool jocks and the cool and I did for once I was in high school, I, I hung out with the intellectuals and they were so friggin' mean to anybody who wasn't as smart as they were. Mm-hmm. I went, I'm not doing this. This just is not, I just can't do this. This is not kind. Mm-hmm. And I believed in kindness even then, but I grew up with kind parents, uh-huh. which was very unusual. And I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And you still see yourself as a kind person, don't you? Nope. I consider myself an asshole. 
Oh, do you? Yes. Because I will say exactly what I mean, whether somebody likes it or not. So where did, what happened that you lost that desire to be kind? Well, I realized that kindness wasn't always doing what made somebody feel better. Kindness was sometimes needing to tell them what they didn't want to hear. So you're up front. Yeah. Yeah. But being up front, does that really make you an asshole? Well, I like to think that does. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why do you like to think funny. of yourself? Well, because it's funny. Okay. Well, that, that's why I'm glad I asked that. So you, you think it's, it's funny to think of yourself as an asshole or to tell yeah. people that you think of yourself that way? Yeah. Because it's like, if you think of yourself as an asshole, then it's like, you're never trying to prove that you're doing something right. Uh, you're just doing what you need to do. Interesting. You know, like I have a horse ranch here in Texas and I had this lady working for me and she was just a terrible person. And she was angry and, you know, it's like, and when you ride a horse from anger, you teach them to be angry. Yes, I believe that. And it's not cool. No. So I told the guy that was running the ranch to fire her Mm -hmm. and he wouldn't, Uh and he didn't. And finally she was mean to him. Uh He did. And then she tried to call me to explain how she hadn't done anything wrong, that he was wrong. I said, you're calling the wrong person. I asked him to fire fire you long ago and far away because mm. I don't like the way you treat my horses. I wouldn't like that either. And I she think that's shocked. true for a lot of other animals too, that animals yeah. become that person. Yeah. Not cute. Not kind. Not no, good. No, it is, it's not good. Gary, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, if that's okay. okay. Just 30 sure. second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced, I'm going to say consciousness in your life. I usually say mindfulness, but consciousness in your life. Actually, there's not, actually, there was a lady named Mary Warnicky who died when she was 97. And uh, she influenced me a lot because she got me to see what I wasn't willing to look at. Interesting. How has mindfulness or consciousness affected your emotions? I don't have any. I'll cry at the top of a hat. I'll cry at a, you know, a great, you know, moment on TV commercial or something that shows some true being in it. But I don't function from emotions. I look at it and go, okay, what is this? What do I do with it? Can I change it? Interesting. Interesting. You know, I see you as a person with emotions, but I don't know you that well. I've only been talking to you for 45 minutes, but. Well, I'm, I'm not a robot. No. no emotions does not mean you become a robot. Right. Just doesn't mean that you have to have trauma and drama in your life. True. I agree with that. Tell us how breathing is part of your life. Do you focus on it particularly? No. It's like, I figure if I'm alive, I'm breathing. Yeah. So it's a non-issue. It's breathing, not- I'm going to be alive. Okay. So if you could recommend a book, one single book that would help us with consciousness or help us with that whole thing, what would it be? Kafka's Metamorphosis. Ah, interesting. I haven't read that. So you need to. I'll put it in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So there you all, go. All of you listeners, check it out. Check that out. And can you share an app? Is there any app at all that you would recommend that could help people? I am the worst person to do apps. I am technologically challenged to a degree that's horrifying. I can kill a computer easier than I can use the computer. Hmm. I had to hire Brett to come over and set this up for this Zoom meeting because I can't do it. 
Right. But you don't have to do it. No. I find that it's easy to pay people to do things for you you don't know how to do and can't do. Right. Well, he did it well. The call seems to be going great. Yeah. (laughs) But he's great. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very cool. So what would you like to achieve in your life that you have not yet achieved? I'd like to create more awareness of people about how to live with the earth. Like right now, we've just completed a small hotel, a boutique hotel called Castillo de Castelborgone in northern Italy. And okay. it's a 12-room hotel that's beautiful, amazing. But it's about working with the place. I mean, everybody wanted us to modernize. And I said, you fucking leave it alone. So how do I get to go to that hotel? What do I, how do I you work this? Up Castello de Castelbergoni, C-A-S-T-E-L-L-O-D-I-C-A-S-A-L-B-O-R-G-O-N-E. And it's between Milan and Torino. Okay. And it sits on the top of the hill. And it's a place of beautiful, serene silence. And all the rooms are done to a level of elegance that you will not see on planet Earth anymore. Oh, really? What kind of prices will I be paying there? Uh, I think the most expensive room is 950 euros a night, and the cheapest one is 350 a night. Sounds awesome. So have you stayed there yourself? Duh. (laughs) Well, I'm just asking. (laughs) I built it. I know, but I didn't even know when it was ready or when it was finished or anything else. (laughs) We just got permits to turn it into a usable hotel. Oh, did you? Yeah. But I've been there many times and I've stayed there and it's just so quiet and so serene and so beautiful. And you sit on the top of the hill and look out of the rolling countryside of, of Italy. And it's just amazing. It's like the sense of peace is beyond belief. And we have this great chef, this young guy who does beautiful food, which is what I wanted. It's like everything has to be beautiful. We eat off you know, we have crystal glasses, fine china, mm-hmm. sterling flatware, Sounds lace, awesome. tablecloths. We have, you know, everything is beautiful. And it's like we don't make it a normal hotel or a normal restaurant. So is Italy one of your favorite places to be in the world? Yeah, I like Italy. I remember a lot of lifetimes from there. When my son was quite young, I think about seven or eight, he says, Mom, Dad, I want to go to Italy. We need to go to Italy. We need to go to Italy. And I'm like, well, why would you choose Italy? Why do you think we should go to Italy? And he says, the food. Exactly. And we're like, I'm I'm like, well, we could go to Toronto. And, you know, they have little Italy there. And we could get, he says, no, no, Dad, that's not the same. No, we need to go to Italy. He is correct. The boy needs to go for Venice, to Venice. How old is he now? He's 17. Okay, so you need to start saving some money for him to send him to Venice. He still wants to go to Italy, but I want to go with him. And so does my wife. Well, then go. So we're going to go. (laughs) We are going to go. But I like hearing advice from you as to where to go in Italy. So that's cool. Venice, fabulous. Yeah. Rome, amazing. But don't do the normal stuff. Right. I never would. You know, and Paris, always fabulous. Mm. London, always fabulous. Right. But you got to go and you got to look for the good things, not for the normal things. Right. I agree with that completely. If you go, if you go to London, go to Harrods to their champagne, champagne and caviar bar. Awesome. Mm, 
Thanks for that advice. Well, Gary, you're found at GaryMDouglas.com. That I yeah. know. And there's lots of stuff there. GaryMDouglas.com. So Mindful Tribe, check it out. It's been great talking to you, Gary. I just grateful talk, great talking to you too. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm I'm still laughing about some of the things you've said because you're good. You're I pretty say funny. funny thing. I'm a funny guy. Yeah, but I had to ask you about those some of those things, whether I was supposed to laugh or not. I wasn't sure whether they were supposed to be. You can funny. always laugh at me. Okay. okay. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Cool. Well, I urge you, Mindful Tribe, to get your bars done. Yeah. And you can get that it, done in any city, can't you? Piece. Yeah, you can get a, it. You know, it's like we're in 176 different countries. Trust me, you can go on the website, accessconsciousness.com, and find somebody somewhere who can do them for you. Accessconsciousness.com. Well, Gary, I have to say goodbye, but uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. My pleasure. Take care, my friend. Bye now. Remember, Mindful Tribe, the new membership group that I'm putting together, the Mindful Tribe Retreat. And you can get an early bird price and be one of the founding members, one of the 20 original founding members. If you join up right now, and there will only be a limited time to do that, we'll have a two-hour live call every month, and there will be all kinds of other perks that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Being part of this Mindful Tribe Retreat will connect you with some terrific like-minded people, and it will be a lot of fun. I'm absolutely going to guarantee it. The group will give you accountability too, to your mindfulness practice. So sign up at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash mtr and like i said you can always email me bruce at mindfulnessmode.com so once again thanks for listening to the show and don't forget stay in the mode mindfulness mode